We are so excited for worship night tonight at 6.30 p.m. on Hamilton Road. This is the first time we've been able to invite our church family together in months, and I personally am freaking out excited about this night. If you've never been to our land before, we have 17 acres of land off Hamilton Road where we're gonna have the freedom to spread out, lay down some blankets, lay down some chairs, and lift up the name of Jesus. So definitely want to honor all the social distancing requirements, but today on Pentecost Sunday, COVID-19 is not going to stop us from gathering together and singing about the victory that is in Jesus. And we believe God's doing something so special this morning, and we get to celebrate together all day long. Welcome to church. If this is your first time joining us, my name is Miles Fidel, and I'm honored that you would join us on Pentecost Sunday. I've said that twice already, and that's because this is a big day that churches like to ignore on the calendar, but it's a big deal. I would say just as big of a deal as Jesus coming down and being born, Jesus rising from the dead is Jesus's life lived out on the inside of us by the power of the Holy Spirit. So could you look at somebody next to you if you're in the room with somebody and just say happy Pentecost Sunday. It's going to be a special day and we're grateful that you decided to join us today at Auburn Community Church. We have so much happening in the life of our church that we want to let you know about and honestly during this season, we could take 10 minutes out of our Sunday gathering and say, these are all the things that you need to know. But I want to tell you with community groups starting tomorrow and so many things happening in the life of our church over the course of the next couple of months, including updates about when we're going to be gathering together at 323 Airport Road again and so much more, you have to be following along on social media. You have to be following along on the website. If you're not on our emailing list, make sure you are because there's some exciting announcements coming your way. But I want to ask a favor. I want to ask that you would tune in on this gathering to the very end because our very own Olivia Tofani is going to be giving you some really, really, really important information about the life of our church this summer that you need to know about. Join a community group. Join us tonight for worship night if you can. And I'm excited about what God's going to do with the rest of this gathering right now. Weren't those songs already today incredible? Lifted up the love of God that we can take courage in the midst of seasons of waiting. I hope you're encouraged already. And we're going to go into a time of worship that we call bringing time. It's no different than our singing songs because it's our bringing back to God what he has entrusted to us. And so if you want to support Auburn Community Church financially, you can do that several different ways. You can do that on Venmo at Auburn Community Church. You can do it online, auburncommunitychurch.com, or you can send checks in the mail to 323 Airport Road, Sweet O. And let me just say this, we are blown away by your generosity during this season. Our church has been able to be the church for so many families, so many businesses and ministries in the Auburn community because our people have been overflowing with generosity in a season of economic recession. I'm blown away by what God is doing through you, and I'm so grateful to be your pastor. Let's continue to be that church. Let's continue to bless others, and let's continue to give generously. This is usually the part of a Sunday where I stop and kind of load up on 
the sermon that I'm about to preach. And I usually stop and just give a word of prayer because I want to invite God into the moment to say what only he can say. I believe I can say this as eloquently as possible and with as much passion as I have in me. But if the Holy Spirit doesn't breathe on it, I have nothing. And I definitely want to do that today, but more than I want to pray over the sermon that I'm about to preach. I want our church to join together with the churches around the country today in praying for our nation. I am grieved, sickened, and I don't think there are enough words in the English vocabulary to describe all of the emotions and feelings that the people of our church and of our community are feeling as we've heard the news and seen the video of George Floyd, an African-American man from Houston, Texas, who's brutally murdered by police officers in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And as our country has been trying to process, there have been many news stories released. There have been many social media posts put out there and there's a lot being said. I honestly just wanted us to have a moment as a church to acknowledge it and feel the exhaustion of having to over and over and over again remind our African-American brothers and sisters that they're not alone, but also go out of our way to comfort those who need to be comforted today. I'm not going to, to sugarcoat it at all. We are a predominantly white church. And so I believe today is a day and this month is a month and this year is a year where we need to go out of our way to make sure our African-American brothers and sisters know that this is not okay. That in the kingdom of God, racism does not exist and that the racial divide that so many of us are feeling the weight of and the pain from is going to be eradicated forever and ever in heaven. Until then, we grieve with you, we mourn with you. Our tears are your tears. And more than a sermon can be preached about it or a post needs to be made about it, we have to change the way we have conversations individually as well. I thought about doing an entire sermon about this topic, but then I realized we've done five or six sermons in the life of our church pointing out the fact that you can preach a sermon about unity, you can talk about love, you can share a social media post about love, but until the people of God, specifically white people in America, get serious about going into their own homes and going into their own communities and paying attention every moment of the day to this issue, change is going to be fleeting. And so I just want to say we're at the point right now where the whole, oh, I don't know, we need to wait for the facts to come out and, and see, you know, what happened with the police officers. We're so far past the point where we need to be saying all of these qualifying statements that we just need to have compassion for people. And if you're still trying to push an agenda that you have personally, instead of having compassion for our African-American brothers and sisters, can I just humbly and respectfully tell you, we're praying for you, we love you, please stop. It's not helping and it's not healing. I hate that just a couple of weeks ago from our stage, we talked about Ahmaud Arbery and we talked about it Morning, but also hopeful that change is coming. I believe change is going to come. 
on the other side, yes, of sermons and yes, of people raising their voice publicly, but more than that, people taking ownership individually. It starts with us. So would you please take ownership? Would you please pay attention when you have an opportunity to to extend love and grace to people who are hurting? And once again, we have so many African-American brothers and sisters who call this church home. You are so at home here. You are so loved by us. And we don't just want to pray for you. We don't just want a nice sermon or a nice post to check it off the list of things that we did to be a politically correct majority white church. We love you. That is our heart because it is Jesus's heart. So as I pray, I hope you're grieved. I hope you're mad. I hope you're hurting. But as I pray right now, I wanna ask that we would join together as one faith family. And if you're offended by what I just said, just do us a favor, you can just click off this stream. But if you're ready to lean in to all that God has for the future of the church, would you just hold hands with the people around you right now? I know that's not even politically correct to ask you to do, because it's like, whoa, are we allowed to, to say, if you're comfortable and you're with a group of people, would you just hold hands as we pray for our country? And in no show whatsoever. I know we're in front of cameras and this can feel like a show right now, but I legitimately just want to get on my knees as I pray. So would you join me as we pray over our country, over our churches, over our families, and specifically for the families and friends of George Floyd. Heavenly Father, we come before you today brokenhearted desperate for your healing touch, desperate for you to lead your people into a new day. And I pray in Jesus' name that May 31st, 2020 would not be one Sunday where the church raised up a loud voice against injustice. I pray that this would be a Sunday on Pentecost Sunday that marks a new dawn and a new era for the church of Jesus Christ. Just like 2,000 years ago when different languages were spoken and the message of Jesus went out to every tribe and tongue, I pray that Pentecost 2020 would be a moment in the United States of America where we say, it's enough, never again, God. Would you allow people to raise their voices boldly, but more than that, would you allow moms and dads to have the courage to talk to their kids? Would you allow people who have never created a friendship or a relational bridge with someone who doesn't look like them to take that step? God, help us stop making excuses. God, help us not be content to just say, well, we live in a region in America that has a rough past and well, I was raised like this. God, please, would you push against that with your justice and with your blood? God, your word says that with the blood of Jesus, you bought your bride. And heaven is not a place just for white people. Heaven is a place for all people. And so God, we join in the prayers with so many different churches today. We join in the prayers with so many people who look different and come from different backgrounds. And we say, come Lord Jesus, your kingdom come. God, I pray that police officers would finally unite, that they would unite around the idea of taking care of the oppressed, that they would speak out against injustice. And God, that this would be a new dawn for them to care for our country in a way that is compassionate and sensitive toward people who have been maligned and executed. 
God, would you do something? We love you so much. We trust you. We actually believe that you can do this in our day because the kingdom has come down. God, I pray that you fill my mouth with the words that you have given me. I pray that as the word of God is preached, that you would comfort people, that you would meet people right where they are, that you'd lift them out of the mess that they find themselves in, maybe this morning in their family or in their finances or in just a sinful habit or addiction. Did you set the captives free? Because that's what you came to do. We love you, God. Help us to be that church. No walls, no boundaries, no one excluded. Help us to be that church in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. As heavy of a moment as that is to begin a sermon, it already feels so small and so limiting. But my hope and my prayer is that the small things would not keep us from making the change that we're responsible for individually. And so I felt called by God to call our church to that. You pay attention to what God has called you to do. And ACC, go be the church. Now, like I said, I thought long and hard about preaching on that topic specifically, but God put something so clear on my heart today, equally as heavy as the burden of saying what I just said. And I believe it's going to take a weight off of people's shoulders who have been carrying something that they haven't even realized they've been carrying their entire lives. If you missed our gathering last week, we're looking at Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. It's this amazing passage where Jesus gives this invitation for the burdened and the weary to come to him. There's a lot of burdened and weary people today, and you need to know you have the exact qualification that Jesus called for when he said, this is who I want to come to me. If you're burdened, if you're weary, you're invited, and you know what you're gonna find when you come to Jesus? You're gonna find rest for your soul. He says, come walk with me, come learn from me. What Jesus is trying to teach us in following him is more than ascribing to a new set of beliefs or a book, Jesus is trying to give us a new rhythm to live our lives. And when he invites the weary and the burdened to come and get rest for their souls, he's literally saying, come watch how I live my life and adopt my rhythms for my life and watch how your life changes. And so here's what we're doing this summer. We're adjusting the rhythm of how we do what we do every day so that we can find rest for our souls. I don't know if you realize this, but you can have all the time off in the world, you can take all the vacations in the world, but that does not guarantee rest for your soul. Rest for your soul spiritually is only on the other side of changing what you do every day of your life, even on the mundane, ordinary days. And I wanted to read this quote from John Ortberg. It's a, it's a pastor out in California. He's one of my favorite writers. He actually wrote the foreword for the book I recommended last week, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And here's what he wrote in it. He said, the good of being delivered from hurry is not simply pleasure, but it's the ability to do calmly and effectively with strength and joy that which really matters. I love that. 
He says, the good part about being delivered from hurry is not just that you'd have a more serene, relaxing life. It's not just pleasure. The good of being delivered from hurry is now you can live calmly and effectively with strength and joy the life Jesus died for you to live. So please know, this summer is not about, we're talking about rest and we're gonna feel better about ourselves. We're gonna get rid of a little anxiety and take some deep breaths together. This is about making sure you don't miss the one life you were created to live. This is about making sure that you don't end up weary and far from God and in a season a long time from now where you look in the mirror and don't recognize who you've become. This is a big deal. And so I wanna call us beyond what we talked about last week. If you missed last week, we talked about the practical way of here's how you find rest for your soul. You gotta learn to be focused with your energy. You gotta learn to be proactive with your rhythms. And then lastly, you gotta learn to be uncompromising with your joy. And I dropped all of those in the sermon last week. And as I was talking about being uncompromising with your joy, I realized that joy is not just a part of living a restful life. Joy is the literal fuel of living a restful life. And that is why part two of this summer series that we're diving into is going to be called Find Strength in Joy. Find strength in joy. Could you look at somebody next to you right now and just say, be joyful. Be joyful. It's the joy of the Lord. It's a spiritual word, I know. But I think too many of us think of joy as an attribute that only certain people have. In fact, there's a woman in our church named Joy, and she literally embodies that word every single time someone's around her. It's like, I feel more joyful because I saw joy today. And it's amazing. And she's awesome. Joy Sanford, we love you. But joy is more than an attribute that some Christians who are happy every time you see them have. Joy is the fuel of what it means to live a life of rest. And if you hear me talk about theology for any extended period of time, you're going to hear me talk about the relationship between God's glory and our joy. It's not something I invented. It's not even something that the father of Christian hedonism invented, John Piper. It's actually something that comes straight out of the Bible. When you read cover to cover from Genesis to Revelation, there is a narrative in the Bible where there is a reciprocal relationship between the glory of God and the joy of humanity. Here's how it works, and here's how John Piper says it. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. There's a dual relationship between God getting glory from our lives and us experiencing joy in him. This is a big deal. Did you know God created you to be happy? And not happy in like the fleeting emotional feeling that you feel when something goes well or something feels right. Happy in the sense that you are connected to the God of the universe and when you find out the reason why you exist, you experience a higher level of satisfaction, a higher level of happiness in him than you can experience with any other option this sinful world has to offer you. It's God's glory and our joy. And the more we start to see joy as central, not an add-on thing, not something we talk about at Christmas time, but the very way we live a restful life, that is when we're going to live a sustained life following Jesus. And that's when I believe we're going to be delivered from the burnout that so many of us are walking in. You heard people talk about burnout. I've heard it in Christian circles. I've heard it with ministry friends. What we mean by burnout is when your soul gets to that place where you literally feel like you have nothing left. And it's not just a physical exhaustion. It's a spiritual exhaustion where you feel depleted of what once filled you up on the inside. And when we talk about burning out, I think I'm about to burn out. I think I'm so drained. I'm going to be burnt out soon. 
what we're describing and what we think that we are saying is getting to the end of our energy. But what's actually happening when you get burned out is it's not that you're getting to the end of your energy, it's that you've gotten to the end of your joy. And when your joy runs out, you don't have the fuel to live the life Jesus died for us to live. Did you know it is impossible to be a Christian and obey God without delighting in God? It's impossible to truly walk with Jesus without experiencing the internal satisfaction, regardless of circumstance, that he has to offer you. And for many of us who are exhausted today, for many of us who feel like we need a rest today, I just want to submit this to you today, that what you need more than anything is to get back to your joy and get back to the source of true joy. The problem for so many of us is that joy seems elusive. It seems fleeting. Because circumstances change. And when things are going well, we feel good. And when things go the other direction, all of a sudden, it feels like joy has left and gone away. But here's the problem. Joy is not something that you and I are called to attach to a particular list of circumstances or situations or feelings. Joy is intended to fill us regardless of the situation because, watch this, it's not our joy that God has called us to create. It's his joy he has called us to connect to. See, I believe that the reason why so many of us feel drained today is because when we became Christians, we found our entire strength in what God was giving us, forgiveness, grace, mercy, salvation, everything that he was providing that we could not get on our own. But here's what happened. Over time, we matured and grew increasingly more and more self-sufficient. But here's the thing. When you start to rely on your own self-sufficiency, you've traded in the source of your joy, which is God's strength that fills you that you can't get without him giving it to you. And watch this. He enjoys giving it to you. So here's how this works. You and I rediscover the joy of our salvation when we remember that salvation is not the only moment where God wants to provide 100% of our strength. You can find strength in joy when you connect your joy to the fact that God enjoys giving you what you need all the time. This is gonna be a deep message. This is gonna cause you to think a little bit and this is gonna be difficult, I think, for me to get fully across to everybody. But if you track with me for the next few minutes, I believe this revelation from the word of God could change your life forever. We're gonna get to Matthew chapter 11 eventually, but first we're gonna look to the book of Nehemiah. If you have your Bible, hold it up, church. Hold it up. May 31st, 2020. I thought we'd be in the same room today. We're not yet. That's hopefully coming soon, but we will be together tonight. Turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah is in the Old Testament, close to the beginning of your Bible, which is weird because Nehemiah, if the Old Testament was organized chronologically, would be close to the end. Many of you don't know this, but the Bible is not organized in order of when things were written. It's organized by genre. And so Nehemiah is one of the last historical narratives that's in the Old Testament, but it's actually one of the last books on the timeline of the Old Testament. And it happens after the people of God are exiled in Babylon, the Babylonians are taken over by the Persians. And there's a time period where there's there's a man named Nehemiah who's put in a prominent position in that particular kingdom. He's the cupbearer to the king. And he asked the king for a God-sized dream. He says, I want to go back to my home in Jerusalem and help rebuild the ruins there. 
When the people of God were taken into captivity, there were people who were left behind in Jerusalem, but the walls were torn down. And this wasn't just sad because they had torn down walls. This was the people of God subjected to captivity and embarrassed because they had sinned against God for generations. So the book of Nehemiah, I've done an entire series on Nehemiah before, and it was one of my favorite seasons in the life of our church. But the entire book of Nehemiah is about Nehemiah and the people of God rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And it's a miracle because they rebuild the walls in 52 days. And when you read the story, you find out that there's all this opposition against them rebuilding the walls. There's all these opportunities to give up. And yet God's people are sustained by the leadership of a man named Nehemiah. But after the walls are built, there's this ceremony that happens. And at the ceremony, Ezra the priest is reading the law, reading the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament out loud. And there's this moment that happens that I believe is going to speak to you right where you are today. Nehemiah chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 8. If you're there, say I'm there. Word of God says this. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra, the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people have been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Pay attention, don't miss this. They're reading out the first five books of the Old Testament, and this is supposed to be a joyful occasion because the walls of Jerusalem have been rebuilt. God did a miracle. God brought his people back from captivity. This is amazing. But as they read the Torah, the people of God are weeping. They're sad. And they're sad because they're hearing about all the ways they've been disobeying God for generations, and they're hearing about the reason why they got enslaved in the first place. And so they're mourning, they're upset. And Nehemiah and Ezra and all the Levites are like, no, 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 that's not what this moment is supposed to be. Watch what happens next. Go to verse 10. It says this, Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. I love that verse, by the way. Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people saying, be still, this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send their portions of food and to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that have been made known to them. This is amazing. Pay attention. You have to see this. People of God are upset as they're being reminded of all the shameful things from the past. They're being reminded of all the reasons why things went the way that they did and why they ended up enslaved. And all of a sudden, Nehemiah stands up and he gives this incredible revelation that changed the moment for them. And I believe it will change your life listening to me here today. You wanna know what it is? He says this, he says, Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. This is where we get our title, Find Strength in Joy. This is where that lyric in Take Courage comes from, Find Strength in Joy. But Nehemiah says, the reason why you need to stop being upset and start enjoying this moment is not because you need to conjure up some kind of fake joy to make yourself feel better. It's you need to connect your joy to God's joy and let what he enjoys become your strength. And everything changes for the people. They get it. 
they stop crying and they start celebrating and they start enjoying all that God is doing. Why, why, why? Because they remembered that it wasn't up to them to conjure up good feelings. It's our job to connect to what God calls joy, which is forgiving us and bringing us back into right relationship with him. In other words, this is crazy. God doesn't want you to develop your own joy. God wants you to figure out what makes him happy and let that make you happy. Figure out what makes God happy and it will change what makes you happy. So what happened in the story? They figured out that God was actually bothered by their sadness. God did not want them coming to this festival, coming to this dedication of the wall and crying and mourning because God's going, listen, I know what you did in the past and I know that was bad and I know that caused a lot of consequences, but we're in this moment right now and as my word is read, I need smiles on your faces and I need you to enjoy my presence because I am loving forgiving you and I am loving giving you a new home and I want to enjoy this moment. Do you know God has emotions? That feels weird to say. There's entire theological discourses written about this. But God is a God whose joy remains the same because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when God says, stop pouting in the corner and come enjoy the party, you come enjoy the party because you're in the Father's house. It's almost like, have you ever been in a situation where you were in a really good mood? And you and your friends were having such a good time, but there was one person in the crowd who was allowing their emotions to affect everybody else. And they wanted the fact that they were in a bad mood to become everybody's mood, but you just weren't having it. You're like, no, 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 we're in a great place. Listen, when God's in a great place and ready to extend mercy and ready to celebrate, you adjust your face and let his joy become your joy. And a party gets thrown. And now the people of God have found their strength in the joy of the Lord, which is what? Being for his people what they can't be for themselves. See, God has wired us for his joy and our joy to rise and fall together. And God gets joy from extending mercy and love to sinners like you and me. And we get joy from receiving it. How is that for an amazing deal called the gospel? God enjoys giving you what you can't do, what you can't earn, what you can't get on your own, and you enjoy receiving it. And you know what's crazy when you read the Bible? God enjoys that process more than we do. God enjoys forgiving you more than you enjoy being forgiven. Jesus enjoys extending mercy to you more than you enjoy receiving mercy from him. And this is not just me taking a few verses in Nehemiah chapter 8. This is the narrative of the Bible, but particularly the set of verses that we're looking at in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, when Jesus says, hey, if you want to know my heart, if you want to know why I came, if you want to know who's invited to come follow me, you need to know this. And we'll go right back there. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. We're going to have it memorized before the summer's over. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and what my burden is light do you want to know what makes Jesus happy what Jesus was intending to do by coming down from heaven 
giving sinful people who were separated from him the life that they couldn't get on their own, getting people who are sick the healing that they've always dreamed about, getting people who are racially divided to be one, giving people what they can't have outside of him. Now watch this. It doesn't drain Jesus to be like that. It fills him up to be like that because that's who he is. The reason why so many of us are burnt out is because we think it drains God to continue to give strength to us. And we think the more needy we are, the more we come back to God for more forgiveness, the more we come back to God for more mercy, the more we come back to God for more provision, the more we come back to God for more help. We think we're taking from a God who has a limited supply. But the truth is, we're actually fulfilling the reason why God created us in the first place. It doesn't drain God to respond to your prayers. It fills him up. And more than it fills him up, it makes him happy. It brings God joy for you to stop hesitating in coming to Jesus. Because what was the invitation in Matthew 11? Come to me. Come on, we're going to talk about that next week. You do not want to miss the sermon next week. It's called Come to Me. And Jesus is going to invite us into his presence. And he's like, hey, just come to me. What I really want, what I really desire, the reason why I came down from heaven is not to give you a new assignment and a list of things to do. It's so that you would come to me and get from me what you can't get anywhere else, namely rest for your soul. And so I, I picked this one line to summarize my sermon today, and I think it's going to change your life. It's, it's like the most blatant, in-your-face, oh-my-gosh line I think I've ever written. Here it is. This is the whole sermon in one sentence. Stop robbing God and yourself of joy by hesitating to come to Jesus. Stop robbing God and yourself of joy by hesitating to come to Jesus. If you're hearing this message right now and there is a sin, there is a level of brokenness, there is a level of darkness pushing against you that's causing you to hesitate to come to Jesus. You're not just stealing joy from yourself by sitting in your pity and your sin. You're actually stealing from the reason why God made you, which is to glorify him. And you glorify him the most when you're satisfied in his love. You glorify God the most when you agree with your when you agree with him that he's your heavenly father, he loves you, Jesus did it all, and there's nothing you can do to change that. There's nothing you can do to get outside his love. There is no way if you are in Christ that you will, in, that you will end up outside of the family of God or outside of heaven. You are his, you cannot change that. What you did last night, what you'll do tomorrow night won't change that because the family of God is forever. It's bound by the blood of Jesus. And God would really like it today if you would stop giving him reasons why you don't belong in his family. He's given you Jesus. And here's what happens. You fill yourself on the inside with that joy. Now you got strength to face today. And if you need more strength, you would go right back to the source because you know that's the reason why you exist. We end up burnt out because we think we have to graduate into developing our own supply of stuff that God is always supposed to give us. And the first thing on that list would be joy. You're not supposed to go get your own joy from your own accomplishments or obedience. You're not supposed to graduate to a level of being a certain amount of happy in God. You're supposed to be restored to the joy of your salvation, which is what? God is my everything. And I have nothing to offer except my heart. Here I am, Lord. Now, my line is, is pretty black and white clear. 
But I'm reading a book right now that quotes a lot of Puritan writers and preachers. And I read this one line from the 1600s that I believe will change your life. And it's a lot deeper and sounds cooler than mine. It's from a writer named Thomas Goodwin who wrote a book called The Heart of Christ in 1651. Listen to this. Christ's own joy, comfort, happiness, and glory are increased and enlarged by his showing grace and mercy in pardoning, relieving, and comforting his members here on earth. So good. Christ's own joy, comfort, happiness, and glory are increased and enlarged by his showing grace and mercy in pardoning, relieving, and comforting his members here on earth. Here's the message of today. If you wanna find strength in joy, come to Jesus and let the fact that God is happy when you come to him in need, create a happiness in you and let him provide what you're looking for. We're all looking for something different today. We all need something different today. But I believe the pathway is the same. It's called strength and joy. The strength that I need on the inside is say it again. The strength that I need on the inside is the energy that comes from being a burning vessel for the glory of God, and that fuel is called joy. Come on, y'all. I know. I hope you're getting this. Have you ever noticed how different you are when you're full of the joy of the Lord than when you're trying to live your life on your own effort and on your own ability to conjure up some level of spirituality? This is how the Christian life was supposed to be lived all along. That we're overflowing with happiness. We're overflowing with thankfulness. We're remembering that we've been forgiven. And all of a sudden, that joy has become our strength. And a Christian who is on fire with the joy of the Lord, the joy of the Lord is our strength. A Christian who lives like that will never burn out, will never grow weary. Because Christ's joy in being our Savior never runs out because he never changes. I wish more than ever. You guys were in the room right now. I believe that this particular message, if our church was together right now, I think I'd be stopping right now because so many people would be in the room going, that's it. That's what I'm, I'm trying to make myself happy in God. And I'm not remembering that he's already happy with me because of Jesus. And I need to let his happiness become my happiness and overflow with joy because I don't have to earn it or get it myself. That's what it's all about. And I miss you guys. And I'm so tired of doing this in front of a camera. But for the glory of God, here's what I believe. Somebody's hearing this because I'm in front of a camera who wouldn't be hearing this today if we were all meeting together at 323 Airport Road and COVID-19 never happened. So I give glory to God and I find joy in my spirit. Not because I'm enjoying this season of preaching on the stage. Truth be told, I'm not. But because God's enjoying getting glory and his joy can be my joy. Boom! Just lived out the whole, the whole sermon in the middle of my sermon. That's never happened. Okay. I got to get back to my points because we're, we're running out of time. Okay, so this whole sermon is about reorienting our minds to stop trying to find strength in our own joy and start finding the strength that we need in the joy of the Lord, which is being God. That's what I really want to get across today, and that's what I want to change in your mind. But how does that lead to a change in behavior? The behaviors look a lot different than just going, okay, let God's joy become my joy. There's real practical elements to this. And so I want to give you two quick things, and then we're done. And tonight, we get to worship together on Hamilton Road. Find strength in joy. Somebody say, find strength in joy. Two ingredients. To find strength and joy. Here we go. Number one is this. Feast on fellowship. 
Feast on fellowship. Now that might seem like it's coming out of left field, but pay attention to the story in Nehemiah. Pay attention. When Nehemiah said, the joy of the Lord is your strength, be still, do not grieve. What resulted from that revelation was a party. See, the joy of the Lord is never meant to just be experienced in isolation. Like everything else in the kingdom of God, it's a community thing. It's a family thing. Like I said a couple weeks ago, it's a group project. And so community can never be something that we talk about every once in a while in the church going, yeah, we got to get in a community group and and we got to make sure we got people around us. No, actually finding strength in the joy of the Lord is impossible outside of doing it in the family of God with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so the feast that results in Nehemiah is similar to what God has laid on my heart for the month to come. I can't tell you how many people in the last few weeks have asked me about June 2020. And if you're part of our church, you know why. In June 2019, we did a month of prayer and fasting that was amazing. I'm still hearing stories about that month today of what God did as so many of us put away food, put away habits, put away things that we enjoy, and invited God to fill that gap in that season. That month was amazing. I will never forget what God did during that month. But a lot of people have been asking me, I've been saying, hey, are we going to do fasting again, June 2020? Like we're, we're, we're hopefully coming to the end of sheltering in place, and we're moving into a new season. Shouldn't we do a month of, of fasting? And I've been like, yeah, that was so powerful last year. But I've felt over and over again, like, that's not what God is calling us to in 2020, but I don't know what he's calling us to. And then all of a sudden, it hit me that on the other side of many of us being in our homes and being isolated for months, What God has for June 2020 is not a fast for us. There's seasons for everything. I believe June 2020 is not fast. June 2020 is feast. And there's a season. In the book of Mark, Jesus gets questioned by the Pharisees when they say, hey, listen, us and John's disciples, John the Baptist, we're all fasting over here. Why aren't you guys fasting? And Jesus says, When the bridegroom is with his friends, that's not the time to be fasting. That's the time to be feasting. But they will fast when the time is right. There's a season to fast, but there's also a season to feast. Church, I believe the next month in the life of our church is a season to come together in fellowship. And I believe fellowship is a word that we've mistaken too much. We thought, okay, well, the fellowship hall in my old church, what does fellowship mean? Fellowship is just a word for deep friendship. It means closeness. I believe what God has called us to in the next season is to experience joy in community because we need each other. So here's my challenge. We're gonna go into a month of feasting. My challenge for everybody connected to our church is this. One night a week, I want you having a dinner party with your community. I don't know if that's your community group. I don't know if that has to happen over Zoom because of your particular situation. I don't know what that looks like for you. But I mean once a week, I want y'all coming together. What did they do in Nehemiah? They got together and had choice food, so the food needs to be good. And they had sweet drinks. I don't know if they had sweet tea in the Old Testament. I kind of think it was something else, but I'm not going to say it because I don't want to offend anybody in the South. You need to have choice food and sweet drinks, and you need to come together and laugh and enjoy the presence of God together because we find strength and joy together. We're gonna feast on fellowship. And I truly believe that community is at the center of the church God has called us to be. We're Auburn Community Church. You know, for a long time, 
I didn't really know why God gave us that name. But now I realize that community is at the center of where we're going. I get asked all the time, where, where's God taking ACC long term? And I got a lot of different answers. I got a lot of different visions God has given us. But I can tell you this, the central marker of who we are called to be as a church has nothing to do with the music that is played on this stage or the preaching that is coming from my mouth right now. And by the way, we got big visions for both of those things. I so believe in ACC worship and I can't wait to see the music that's coming out of our church go all over the country and all over the world for the glory of God. We are going to do that. And I do believe that the preaching in this church is above average and needs to go out for the glory of God. I don't feel insecure in saying that at all because I believe God has anointed my voice to preach. But here's the thing, we need the people of Auburn Community Church. When they think of their church, I don't want the first thing you think about to be the music or preaching. I want the first thing you think about to be the people you do life with closely. And this month, more than ever, it is imperative that you find your people. It is imperative that the church becomes more than a place that you're going to go back to very, very, very soon as a building. It's got to be your people. So I'm announcing, and this is what we're celebrating tonight at worship night, Feast on Fellowship. Let's do it June 2020 as a church. And let's find strength in the joy of the Lord. That's number one. I got a quick one for number two, and then we're gonna sing to God. Number one is this, feast on fellowship. Somebody say feast. I hope you guys are excited. Number two says, walk in worship. Walk in worship. See, while I love worshiping through the songs that we sing, Worship is more than a song where we feel God in this elusive moment that feels really nice. Worship is a lifestyle of fixing our eyes on Jesus and not growing weary because we're stirring our affection for the Lord one more time. And here's how you stir your affection for the Lord. You remember his affection and inclination toward you in this moment. If I ever need to take the time to get my heart around the idea that I'm loved by God and connect my emotion to these realities I say that I believe, I don't start with my ability to reach God. I start with the fact that God has completed the relationship of grabbing my life out of the darkness and out of hell. Here's a scripture I wanna leave you with from Hebrews chapter 12, verses one through three. It's about worship. The writer says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I love this. It says we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, these saints who have gone before us who are almost cheering us on in this race. And Paul says we need to run with perseverance. And you're like, wait, you said walk in worship. Is it walk or run? It's called striding, not striving. If you're gonna run a lifelong race with perseverance, you need to walk. I've never met anybody who can just stay at a fast pace all the time. Our pace is slow because our distance is long. And our pace is marked by this, fixing our eyes on 
Jesus, the author, pioneer, and perfecter of our faith. And here's the best part. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. How has God called us to endure impossibility? To endure the the racial situation our country finds itself in? How has God called us to endure? Joy. Sounds backward. But when Jesus was on the cross, he found a level of joy that caused him to push through. Do you know what that joy was, church? You and me forgiven. And if Jesus can find happiness in forgiving us as he was nailed to a cross, we can find strength in joy for whatever we are called to face today. At the very end, it says, so that we will not grow weary. If you're growing weary, this is what you need, worship. And so I wanna invite you, we're gonna sing a song. It says, mercy is falling. Lift up your eyes, lift up your hands, fix your eyes on Jesus. And this is more than a song that we wanna sing to end our gathering. This is a moment that carries you into other moments where you can remember every time that mercy falls your way, you're not running contrary to the flow of what Jesus wants to do. You're allowing him to do the one thing he came down from heaven to do, which is forgive you and give you a right relationship with your heavenly father. So let him stop hesitating. Let that mercy fall down because it's not just making you joyful. You're stepping in to the joy of your heavenly father because he loves you. To do me a favor, would you just bow your head? Would you close your eyes in this moment? This is a moment where I wanna pray for people who are growing weary. I wanna pray for people who feel drained. I wanna pray for people who are thinking about giving up. I believe this moment on Pentecost Sunday is a moment for the church of Jesus Christ to feel the wind of the Holy Spirit filling us with joy on the inside again and carry us into a new dimension for the glory of God. So if you've never received the mercy and grace of Jesus that makes you a son, that makes you a daughter of the living God, this is your moment to step into that grace. I wanna pray for you, but I also wanna pray for those who have said yes to that grace and mercy and who have been running from the joy that is completed by saying yes to your heavenly father again. Would you just pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray in the name of Jesus for all of those listening to these words right now, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would fill them on the inside with a renewed sense of strength. I pray for people who feel like they wanna give up. I pray for people who feel like they are absolutely at the end of themselves. I pray in the name of Jesus that the strength that comes from knowing you would fill them that no longer would they believe that they're taking something from you by asking for mercy. Would they know that the reason why they exist is to glorify you by admitting they need you? God, would you cause your perfect love to cast out all fear today? Would you help people to know that there is rest to be found in your arms? God, we're so grateful for what you're doing. We ask you, to do something brand new in this moment. In Jesus' name.
Amen.